the first episode of Historia Obscura, I briefly mentioned the trial of Terry Nichols, one of the co-conspirators in the Oklahoma City bombing, which killed 168 people. Nichols was convicted by an Oklahoma state court of first-degree arson, conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction, and 161 counts of murder. Additionally, Nichols was convicted by a federal court of conspiracy to commit terrorism and involuntary manslaughter of the eight federal agents in the building. While Timothy McVeigh, the primary perpetrator of the attack, was sentenced to death by the federal government for the murder of the eight federal agents, Nichols was saved from the death penalty by a hung jury. Instead, Nichols received 161 life sentences and an additional 9,300 years in prison. This is by far the longest prison sentence ever dished out to a single person, unsurprising considering that Nichols and McVeigh were the most prolific murderers in the U.S. prior to 9-11. Far behind Nichols, in second place for this metric, is Michael Devlin, a Missouri man currently serving 74 life sentences for attempted murder, child rape, transporting minors across state lines to engage in sexual activity, and possession of child pornography. The longest sentence in terms of life sentences outside of the United States was that of Palestinian militant Abdullah Barghouti, currently serving 67 life sentences for overseeing several terrorist attacks that collectively killed 66 Israelis. Brenton Tarrant, the perpetrator of the Christchurch Mosque shooting in New Zealand, is currently serving 52 life sentences for 51 counts of murder and one count of terrorism. Now, although I said that Terry Nichols received the longest sentence in history, this is only partially true. A life sentence is generally considered the longest possible prison sentence, as a life can theoretically be infinitely long. However, some sentences are instead handed down in terms of years. The longest sentence of this type was given to Chamoy Tipiaso, a Thai woman who ran a $200 million pyramid scheme that defrauded over 16,000 people. After being convicted of corporate fraud, Tipiaso was sentenced to 141,078 years in prison. The next three longest sentences belong to Othman Elganoi, 42,924 years, Jamal Zugam, 42,922 years, and Emilio Suarez Trashoras, 34,715 years, three Al-Qaeda members who took part in the 2004 Madrid train bombings. The longest sentence of an American in terms of years is the 30,000-year sentence given to Charles Scott Robinson, who raped a three-year-old Oklahoma girl. So yeah, I'd say some punishments fit their crimes. Now, obviously, Chamoiti Piasso didn't serve all 141,078 years of her prison sentence. In fact, she served a mere eight years of the sentence before being paroled in 1997. Likewise, Terry Nichols will not see out all 161 of his life sentences. Barring any sort of exoneration or pardon for the second deadliest terror attack in U.S. history, Nichols will die in prison without serving his full sentence. 
The longest served prison sentences are an entirely different animal from the longest prison sentences given out. The longest serving Nazi official sentenced at the Nuremberg trials was Rudolf Hess, the deputy Fuhrer of Nazi Germany, who was arrested in Scotland in 1941. Hess spent 46 years in prison before his suicide by hanging in 1987 at the age of 93. Manson family cult leader Charles Manson was convicted of the Tate-LaBianca murders in 1971, and he served almost 47 years in a California prison before succumbing to colon cancer in 2017 at the age of 83. Colombo crime family mobster John Frances served 50 years in prison between 1967 and 2017 for several armed robberies before being released at the age of 100, making him the only centenarian ever in federal prison. Sirhan Sirhan, the assassin of Senator Robert F. Kennedy, has spent 53 years in a California prison since his 1969 conviction and he was nearly released on parole in 2021 before California Governor Gavin Newsom blocked his release. Mass murderer Howard Unruh spent over 60 years confined in a mental institution for the infamous 1949 Walk of Death murders in Camden, New Jersey, before his death due to natural causes in 2009. The longest-serving prisoner still incarcerated is 85-year-old Walter Burke Jr., who has spent over 66 years in a New Hampshire prison for the axe murder of a four-year-old girl that he committed in 1955 at the age of 17. The longest-serving prisoner in history was Charles Fossard, a French immigrant to Australia who spent almost 71 years in prison for the murder of an elderly man. Convicted in 1903, Fosser died in prison in 1974 at the age of 90. Fans of Brooks Hatlin from The Shawshank Redemption know that it is nearly impossible to readjust to a normal life after spending several decades in prison. Yet, one American man spent over 68 years in prison before being released. I'm going to tell you all about him right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 61st episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Paul Geidel Jr. was born on April 21st, 1894, in Hartford, Connecticut. His parents, both German immigrants, were Paul Geidel Sr., a bartender, and Annie Prumbaum, a housewife. 
The Geidel family was severely impoverished as the elder Paul Geidel, an alcoholic, spent most of his wages on alcohol. In 1900, when the younger Geidel was five years old, the elder Geidel drank himself to death. Two years later, due to her poor financial state, the seven-year-old Geidel's mother put him up for adoption. Geidel would spend the rest of his young childhood in an orphanage before dropping out of school and leaving the orphanage at the age of 14. Like most young men of his time, Geidel only saw a future for himself as a manual laborer. However, at a height of 5 foot 5 and 120 pounds, Geidel was far too small for this field. Instead, he took on a slew of jobs working as a bellhop at hotels in Hartford. Geidel did not last long at any of his jobs, and after cycling through practically every hotel in Hartford, he traveled south to New York City in search of more jobs. His cyclical pattern of employment and unemployment continued in New York, and to save money, he shared a Manhattan tenement apartment with a young couple, Edward and Josephine Kane. In the summer of 1911, Josephine bought a bottle of chloroform to euthanize her dog, intriguing the 17-year-old Geidel. Geidel reportedly asked how much chloroform it would take to knock out a grown man, and this man was certainly not hypothetical. At the time, Geidel was working at the Iroquois Hotel in Manhattan, where 73-year-old William Jackson, a miserly stockbroker, was staying. Jackson's hotel room was rumored to be filled with massive stacks of cash, and so Geidel got the idea to take this money for himself. On July 21, 1911, Paul Geidel was fired from his job at the Iroquois Hotel for reasons unknown, but this did not halt his plan to rob William Jackson. Five days later, on the night of July 26, 1911, Geidel snuck into the basement of the hotel and climbed ten stories up an air shaft. He then quietly opened the air shaft window to Jackson's room and entered. Geidel soaked a washcloth in chloroform before smothering it on the sleeping Jackson's face. Jackson woke up and attempted to fight off Geidel, but he was no match for the young man. Geidel bashed Jackson's head against his bed's headboard before administering another two doses of chloroform to the old man. Jackson fell unconscious, and Geidel then shoved the chloroform-soaked rag into his mouth. Geidel scoured the hotel room for the money rumored to be there, but he could find nothing more than a watch and seven dollars in cash. Geidel then fled the scene, and soon afterwards, Jackson died from suffocation. In committing his crime, Geidel made a grave mistake by killing a man in a hotel room next to that of Charles Seymour Whitman, the Manhattan district attorney and future governor of New York. Additionally, he left the bottle of chloroform in the room. Unsurprisingly, within 15 hours of the murder, Geidel was arrested as a, at his apartment. Upon being interrogated by Whitman, Geidel quickly confessed to the crime. He was put on trial for murder and was heavily expected to be convicted of first-degree murder and sent to the electric chair. However, the jury instead found Geidel guilty of second-degree murder, likely due to his young age, 17 years old, at the time of the murder. 
Gado's life was spared by this conviction as he was sentenced to life in prison with eligibility for parole after a minimum of 20 years. To serve his sentence, Paul Geidel was incarcerated at the Sing Sing Correctional Facility in Westchester County, New York. Spending an extensive amount of time in prison has an immense impact on one's mental state, and Geidel was no exception. Eight years into his prison sentence, in 1919, Geidel suffered a mental breakdown and slid his wrists, leaving a note reading, quote, No matter how much I have sinned in this world, no matter how much of a cowardly and lowly creature I have been, I at least have the right of dying with the chance of being forgiven by the Almighty God, but I am on my last legs and cannot stand it any longer. Do you think one would wish for death if there was any chance to live? I have known since last March that I must die within the year. Geidel survived the suicide attempt and spent the next seven years being transported back and forth between Sing Sing and various mental hospitals. In 1926, after 15 years in prison, Geidel was declared legally insane by the Westchester County Department of Corrections. In accordance with state law, he was transferred to Danamora State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, up in Clinton County, New York. In 1931, after 20 years in prison, Geidel became eligible for parole and applied for early release. Geidel's request was denied, however, and he would spend the next four decades at Danamora. In 1972, 61 years after Paul Geidel was initially incarcerated, Danamora closed down. Consequently, Geidel was transferred to the Fishgill Correctional Facility in Dutchess County, New York. Here, elderly prisoners were housed in a unit that resembled a dormitory or nursing home more than a prison. As a result, Geidel came to terms with his confinement. In his own words, quote, They treat me well here. Sing Sing was a bad place when I got in there, but I deserved it. I took a good man's life. Still, to this day, I don't know how I could have done that. Due to the length of his imprisonment, Geidel developed a rapport with the corrections officers at Fishgill, and they would even take him to baseball games and other outings sometimes. In August of 1974, after 63 years in prison, Geidel was finally granted parole. However, he shockingly refused to leave, citing his lack of friends, family, or any sort of adult life outside of prison. Geidel would spend another six years at Fishgill, during which time he was recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest-serving prisoner in American history. Then, on May 7, 1980, after 68 years and 296 days behind bars, 86-year-old Paul Geidel left Fishgill a free man. Upon being released, he said to reporters with a smile, quote, No publicity, please. He moved into a nursing home in Dutchess County, where he lived for another seven years. Then, on May 1st, 1987, 
Paul Geidel died from natural causes in Beacon, New York, at the age of 93. Although the aforementioned Charles Fossard spent more time in prison, Geidel remains the longest-serving prisoner in history whose sentence ended with his release. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.